Hi, everyone. Welcome to another episode of the Reaching the Summit podcast. My name is Todd Buckingham. I can be found on Twitter at Reach Summit Pod. Good evening, everybody. I'm Zach Dosh, and you can find me on Twitter at Zachary Dosh. And I'm Greg Steeman, and I'm on Twitter at Greg Steeman. Well, so we've got one week left in the regular season, and then the conference tournament will be coming after that. I want to talk about a couple of news items before we got into the action from this weekend. And starting out with Noah Friedel, it was announced just before these, this weekend's matchups that he was going to miss the rest of the season dealing with depression and anxiety issues. And I'll let the two of you comment on that, and, and then we'll kind of go from there. Well, I think it was kind of said on the broadcast, but, you know, sometimes we forget that these people are humans and they're going through a lot of things, you know, particularly guys, you know, 18 to 22, they're going through a lot on the court, off the court, things like that, a lot of pressure on them. And, um, you know, I'm just, I'm really happy that he got the help that he needed. And hopefully this goes a long way towards normalizing it. Hopefully this results in one more person reaching out for help that was sort of on the fence about it because, you know, it's it's a tough thing when you can't physically see it, and uh, that doesn't make it any any less serious. And um, I think it's just going to be a, a good example uh, how to prioritize yourself. And um, yeah, just really proud of the kid, really. Yeah, Zach, you make really good points, and and I'm in agreement with you. And I, it is, it's it's something that I think over the last two, three, four years has become, has gone from this, you know. Um, things you don't talk about to my gosh if, if I don't talk about it myself no one else is going to talk about it and so I'm uh, proud of the young man and, and I think he's surrounded by a lot of people that really want the best for him would they love to have him on the floor they would but they know that's far 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 secondary to him getting that you know the the help he needs and the growth he needs and at the end of the day I think it's going to make him a um a better person. And, and if he chooses to stay with basketball, I think it's going to make him an even better basketball player, which is really hard to imagine when you look at what he was able to accomplish on the floor. Um, you know, and, and as you were talking, Zach, and as I'm kind of talking, I'm going, who knows? The kid is so talented, but is part of this, you know, what he's been dealing with is, you know, does, is he passionate about basketball or does he think he's supposed to be good at basketball? And does that contribute to it at times? You never know. I think um, I, I have to believe all, concerned parties would just say, you know what, whatever's best for him and whatever he chooses to do and, and, uh, you know, moving forward, I think the the most important thing is that he's getting the, the, the appropriate help that he needs to grow as a person. And I think everybody's really proud of him for that. Yeah. Just a huge credit to that entire program for putting the person first, you know, I know, um, and Greg, you know, this better than anybody, but you know, when you're, when you're recruiting kids, you know, obviously you get plenty of questions from the parents. As to, you know, okay, I'm trusting you with my son. And uh, can you take him from being a boy to becoming a man? And, uh, you know, I think what Coach Henderson is doing is really illustrating that, that he truly does have the best interests uh, of Noah Friedel in, in mind. And um, and he's, he's keeping his priorities in order. And uh, it's just, you know, a lot of times we're seeing maybe some things getting carried away in college basketball, but uh, every now and then, when you see something like this, it's like, all right, you know, we're going to be okay as a sport because we have some darn good coaches. And, and uh, 
who are who are good people too. Yeah. I couldn't agree more, Zach. You bring up pretty good points. And I guess just in my small world and the people that I had a chance to deal with, I don't know of anybody that whoever would have said, you know what, you got to keep playing. And I don't think I, I know of anybody who would have said, you know, um, our success as a team is more important than your, your, you know, physical and, and emotional health. So I, I'm in complete agreement with you. I, I do think these coaches really take it to heart and, and take it as a high level responsibility to help these young men and women, regardless of what sport you're coaching, really develop as people and use sports and athletics as a vehicle to help them achieve that. So I, I think you make really good points, Zach. Yeah, and I don't have anything different to say than the two of you already did, other than to echo a couple of points. Mental health issues, it's it's far less stigmatized than it used to be. Uh, but it's where I spend most of my professional life in in working with people um, with some with mental health issues and intellectual disabilities. So the the fact that he went public with this is a big deal because it is something that still has some stigma around it, and and it will help other people that he that he's willing to do that. And he didn't have to do that. They could have come up with all sorts of reasons that he was going to miss the rest of the year. Um, so just kudos to him. It t- shows it takes a lot of courage to do that. Um, and then uh, on the fan side as well, it's part of college basketball and, and just college sports in general for fans to to give people a little bit of a hard time. And I have no doubt that that won't happen at all with any of this, that that in spite of rivalries, people want only what's best for him as a person. And, and I don't think we'll get two years down the road if he if he gets back to playing basketball and it. And, and I don't think people will forget it at that point. So I was just impressed with the response um, from his team, from him, and and fans of, of opposing teams as well. All right, um, on to the next topic. We had a COVID positive with the, the South Dakota program. So the game against Oral Roberts was missed uh, today. And, and then they had the game on Saturday. Uh, they have another test tomorrow, which if it's positive means they will miss the North Dakota state series. That would mean that USD would be the number one seed and the conference champ, but, and I'll let you guys comment on this after, after, after I do here, I, I can't see where any team would want a COVID positive or would pretend to have one. Cause a little bit of that's getting out there, meaning they wouldn't be able to even basically practice before their first conference tournament game. Um, just so they can get the number one seed. Well, I'll echo the sentiments. I there's, I think it's crazy thinking to think that at any time during the course of this entire basketball season, as hard as these um, college athletes have worked just to give themselves a chance to experience the, you know, the ability to compete on the court or on the floor or wherever they're at. You know, right now we've got so many sports going on. You know, <laughs> football and and soccer and softball and baseball, and not, not to mention basketball. I, I think it's ludicrous on its face that anybody would ever consider, you know, let's make something like this up. These kids work too hard and the opportunities. Um, I honestly believe if, if we had Todd Lee on the podcast right now, and, and I think it would be incredibly offensive to him if we said, um, did you really have a positive test? You know, that type <laughs> right. of thing. And, yeah. and, and I think he would hang up uh, probably faster than, than anybody and rightfully so. So, 
that um, they want to earn it on the floor, and they, they they know that whether they're the one or the two seed, it really doesn't make any difference. You get an extra day of rest, but you got to go prove it on the floor in Sioux Falls. I I just hope we get eight teams there that all have uh, you know don't have any positives, and then we can keep them in the pod and play the whole thing out. I th- I think there's still so much there's so much on the line. We all know that. I think and I think we all agree. So it's it's unfortunate. Um, I'm selfishly, I, I'm really disappointed because I wanted to watch, and you address it in the agenda. I wanted to watch Plitz White and Aismas go head to head again. Zach, I think yep. you addressed it on the on Twitter as well. I was looking forward to that. So, uh, no, we'll we'll see what happens depending on what the test results say tomorrow, uh, whether there's a series next week or not. But there's still other games left to be played in the league. Well, Todd, like you said, you know, um, when it comes to the mental health things, I'm glad nobody's questioning anything and there's no lines being crossed. But, you know, it's just unfortunate we can't say the same thing about this this COVID situation with some of the theories floating around out there. Again, I feel like we have to address this every time it pops up because there's questions out there. But, you know, apparently people are accusing other people of things and it's not there's just no logic behind it. People aren't thinking clearly. They don't understand the situation. They don't understand what these coaches and, and programs have to go through when there is a positive, you know, I mean, so the the thought out there is, okay, so yeah, if USC, whether it's a one positive or two, whatever, not playing these games somehow benefits them because then they end up the number one seed regardless. Well, the one seed doesn't mean anything. The regular season champion does not mean anything. It doesn't really get you anything necessarily. I mean, especially after the first round of the playoffs. And what it does get them is uh, about at least a 10-day break from all things basketball-related at the most important time of the year. You know, we were kind of chatting before we went on air, and I'm like, you know what? I'm not so – I I think coaches would trade would, – would, would rather take 10 days of practice and the second seed – rather than no practice and the one seed going into the conference tournament. I really do. I mean, practices are that important as we're coming down the stretch here, and especially a, a game like a, a, against NDSU. Um, these, these players have just sacrificed and worked so hard for this that it's just it's, it's heartbreaking for them to not be able to play this last game. I mean, they made it this far, and uh, to not be able to finish it all is really heartbreaking. But, you know, like, I, like uh, you guys had said, the most important thing is that we just kind of – Make sure we get everybody on the same page, and um, hopefully everybody shows up in Sioux Falls healthy so we can just play this out and settle it on the court because um, that's really what it's all about. Uh, you know, so um, it's just important to know that, you know, it, not only is it garbage to accuse other people of that, it's just it's lowbrow in, in my opinion, um, but there's also no logic behind it. Like there would be no logical reason to even do that. So it's just it's the, the theory out there is flawed all around, and um, it's too bad we have to keep addressing it, but, you know, it's, it is what it is, I guess. Well, in some of that, even, you know, we've talked how many times and we've seen in the power rankings and all of that, the top four teams, there's a razor's thin margin between which team is better than the other. And we change our minds multiple times after we watch these teams. Mm-hmm. There's a good chance in the second round, they're playing a team that had a Max Asmus open look, not fall. That, mm-hmm. that would have beat them. It's, it's, silly to even think that they're trying to pick and choose opponents or whatever given those other three teams that are right up there with them are incredibly good and any of those teams winning the conference tournament would not shock me so it just other than you get to hang a banner up next year uh, there's nothing else that is even really beneficial i i don't even know do most 
programs hang a banner for a regular season championship? Well, it, I, I think it is a big deal. I think every every university looks for a reason to hang a ban- banner, but I, <laughs> yeah, I, <that's> I, <laughs> I do I do think a regular season championship does matter, and and uh, but and even in this year, even in this year of everybody knew the rules, the ground rules heading into this thing, and everybody probably knew that the odds of very few teams playing all sixteen games were were extremely slim, and that's why they said, hey, we're going to do this on winning percentage and. And I, I, I agree, you know, with what some people said. It's it's unfortunate that South Dakota State missed their series against Denver and Omaha, even though any clear-thinking, rational mind knows that both Denver and Omaha would have loved to have a chance to knock them off. The odds of them having at least three, if not four wins, are really, you know, additional wins are pretty doggone good, and they can be in great shape right now. But it's uh, it's... Yeah, I mean, this is the these are the times we live in. As you, as the three of us were texting earlier today, this is this is what we have to deal with. And and I just hope we can get through this last weekend with whoever is going to play or is not going to play, and we can get uh, the eight teams to Sioux Falls. And because this is going to be uh, a conference tournament like no other. Very few, if any, fans in the arena, and these guys going out. And I guarantee you, you guys all know this. They're going to go compete their tails off, whether it's the one seed or the eight seed and, and everybody in between. It's going to be a lot of fun and a lot of fun to watch it play out. Yeah. Like, like we talked at the beginning of this season, we, 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 we knew that things like this was going to happen. I mean, everybody knew this was part of the deal. I mean, you need to take the, the thought of everything being fair off the table. Like it was, it was just going to happen. And it, it's, it's a total roll of the dice. I mean, nobody's doing anything better than anybody else. And, and we've seen situations pop up all over the place. And so um, it, it's, it, you, you guys are right. The regular season championship does mean something. Um, but, I mean, ultimately what these guys want to do is play in the NCAA tournament. And uh, that means winning the conference tournament. And that's just the way our conference decides it. And, um, and that's that. There's not any reason to get high or low. Um, everybody gets their shot. Everybody gets their shot. I mean, you could say that even Denver and Omaha get their shot because it's essentially a playing game. Their conference tournament starts this weekend. So, right. you know, ultimately, whatever's happened up to this point, all these teams are still going to get the last say when it comes to the court. Uh, fingers crossed. Well, and Greg, you talk about administrators looking for any reason to put up a banner. Only one team could put up a we played all 16 games this season. Um, (laughs) North Dakota, since they're off next week, we can say this. They played every game. They they (laughs) They probably should. Yes. Um, Conquered COVID. Exactly. Yeah. The only, only, the Ironman award or something. I don't know. But uh, they're the only ones to make it. So it certainly shows that uh, everybody, nobody's been immune to it except for North Dakota. And, And that is some of that by luck and not just because they followed protocols better than others or anything like that. Cause you can't control the other team either. Um, and so, yeah, that w- it's where we're at now. I did want to go into some of the number one seed scenarios just so we have a bearing on what to go on. And I'm going to go off the belief that we're going to get good news tomorrow and North Dakota state and South Dakota will play next weekend. And so South Dakota wins the number one seed if they sweep North Dakota State or they split and South Dakota State splits. 
North Dakota State gets the number one if they sweep South Dakota, and um, South Dakota State loses one to Kansas City. If they both sweep, they tie, and I did not get into the tiebreakers to figure out who the number one would be. So South Dakota State gets the number one if they sweep Kansas City, and um, North Dakota State and South Dakota split. So there's our, and then there's no, no way for Oral Roberts or Kansas City to get the number one. There's some ways for them to get the two, especially Oral Roberts or the three or different things like that. Um, so all of that's under the uh, belief that USD and North Dakota State play next week. I, of course, hope that happens because that will be exciting basketball. Uh, but that's where we're at with those. Anything to add to that or... I mean, no, uh, nothing other than I'm glad that you ran those numbers, ex- and except for me, because yeah, right. <laughs> I'd have to have my abacus out trying to figure out what what do we got going on here. So, winning good, losing bad. Um, outside of that, I'll let Todd di- uh, divvy it up. Yeah, and I didn't get as far as into the ones that got to be tied on winning percentage. I yeah. I was hoping for uh, Ryan Paul from the Summit League to send something out so I could pre- pretend I came up with it, but. Yeah. Yeah, and it's I, I think that and, and I know we've talked about it up until a couple of tournaments ago, NDSU did win three games in three days. And I think if they're healthy, they have the depth to do it again as a three or four seed. I think the the obviously the great value in being a one or two seed is that you get a chance to play the one eight, two seven games and then sit for a day while the three six and the four fives play, and then the winner of those games would have to play on, on three consecutive days. But it's it's doable, especially with – I was talking to somebody yesterday. I mean, we, we talked about the top four teams. You know, Kansas City is a unique style. North Dakota is dangerous. You know, um, Western Illinois is playing with a high level of confidence. I think it's Kansas City and Western Illinois are both on five-game winning streaks. Um, who comes into that tournament on a roll and who's a difficult matchup? Uh, you never know. I, I don't know. The odds are that we won't see – USD, ORU, NDSU, and SDSU in the semifinals, but right. we very well could. Yeah. And man, that would be great. I just, I just think about the last two nights with USD and Oral Roberts going at it and Plitzel White and Aismas going head to head and up at NDSU. You have a one point SDSU win and then a two point NDSU win, and it's, you know, hanging on for dear life. It's, it's great. And again, I guess we just have to credit the schedule makers, right? They planned all this out and they planned the play-in game for the last weekend for Denver and Omaha to, right. to just to start the tournament early. So uh, crazy time is going to be interesting. So let's get into the matchups. We'll start out with South Dakota State against at North Dakota State. It, it was a split um, with South Dakota State winning the game one by one and North Dakota State really kind of controlling game two until South Dakota state started pressing and then um, made it close. And North Dakota state was able to hold on the question I I had for that series. And then you guys go into what you saw, uh, Greg, Greg, you were there. Um, My question was Douglas Wilson was player of the year last year, and he's, he's been dealing with an injury this year, but we got into a kind of a back and forth on a message um, board on Twitter is Wilson on the first or second team this year? There's a lot of good players in this conference. It, it's an interesting player of the year to where does he kind of fall in that this year? And Greg, if you want to start, that'd be great. Well, it's a really good question. When I saw it on the agenda, I said, well, I, I wish you wouldn't pick that topic because that's a tough one. You know <laughs> right. I mean? But I like it. Um, I don't know that he's a first ter- 
first team. I, I, I think I said during the broadcast, broadcast, and I say, believe me, I say so many dumb things during a broadcast. It, it's hard to keep track of all of them on a nightly basis. But it's hard for me not to have Shireman as a first-team all-league guy, just with what right. he does night in, night out. He's the second-leading rebounder in the Summit League, for gosh sakes. You know, at, at about 6'5", six, 6'6". Six, six, and, and, uh, but Wilson, you know, if you watched him on that Saturday night game, you're going, how is this guy not? The interesting right. thing about um, Wilson is Dave Richmond said, we are not going to double him. We're not going to leave the three-point line on these guys. And uh, it was Griezel for the most part, but a number of different bodies that had a chance. And Wilson was just, Wilson was was Wilson. He was really good. And if he gets back to that level on a consistent basis, it just makes SDSU that much better. I'm not sure. I honestly am not sure. It would be hard for me to see him fall off the second team, probably from a historical standpoint, even though voters are not supposed to think in historic terms. They're supposed to think about this year's um performance but if you're looking at it you're kind of going well if SDSU is a you know a top two team how do you keep you know their best two players off at least the first and second team I don't know but uh right. it, it he's he's definitely not a lock put it the way there's there's my long 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 answer to your question he's not a lock to be on either the first or second teams you know I think the reason behind these um picks for all conference and and player of the year are always kind of interesting because everybody has little different reason and and that's fine there's a lot of very valid angles to take at this situation so greg is let me ask you this is the fact that douglas wilson okay so we see what he can do right like we see how good he can be and the fact that he hasn't been anywhere near that for most of the year does that kind of play into thinking because like if you don't see if you don't know how good he could be and you just look at his numbers he's he's probably a fringe second team member you know um, but does the fact that we know that he's much better than what he's been playing at affect if he gets voted onto a team or not? Great not question, There's not a no, wrong answer. I agree with you. Yeah. Those are great questions. Yeah. And I literally think, because I think you already alluded to this, I think every voter has different rationale at times. I think there are people mm-hmm. that look at a career as a whole sometimes and mm-hmm. go, yeah. Because I do think, I, I think right now, I'm thinking he probably is a fringe all-league guy. I I doubt he's a first-teamer. Would it shock me to see him there? Yeah. And it, it wouldn't shock me to see him not on the first or second team either. Just yeah. because when you look at the consistency of performance for South Dakota State, I think the two guys that have kept this team together throughout the course of the season are Shireman, who I think is one of the best in the league, and then Arians. Those guys have been yeah. night in, night out, put it in the scorebook. You know what you're going to get out of them. Oh, and by the way, both of those guys make their teammates better regardless of who the teammates are on the floor. So no, and, I great question, Zach. I I think it's different philosophies for different voters. Yeah, and and one other question: are, are there five or six players on the first team all conference? I always go by like how I'd actually put a team together, but I know a lot of people don't do that. I seem to remember six on the team on the. I team think last you're right. Year, was I wrong? Well, okay, no, I, I think you're right. They do player of the year and then five others. So there's six on oh, the first sure. team, five oh, on the okay. second team. Thanks for reminding me of that. Well, that kind of bails me out because I was kind of, you know, so the way I'm approaching it is so how I try to answer your question, Todd, again, in a very roundabout way is, okay, so uh, probably O'Banner and uh, Amude on there, probably Plitza White and probably Acemas and then Baylor Shireman on there. That's five. And then the sixth would be... (sighs) 
you know, again, it all depends on what you value. Phil Pabrach has been one of the most consistent big guys out there. I mean, uh, you know, the, the other big guys, and, and it's really been the year of the big man, they've been way more up and down in their performance, but Pabrach has been that steady guy. So maybe he's the sixth or seventh guy in there. And, uh, and, and if that's the case, then you'd have to say Douglas Wilson's probably the seventh or eighth. And so he finds himself on the second second team. Uh if that so um it it, yeah. it just seems it seems kind of odd to have only one south dakota state player on that first or second team really i mean you know with, with shireman but um I mean, obviously we we know the the friedel situation is kind of playing into that as well but uh, so so that's kind of my answer i guess it, it or my line of thinking anyway is douglas wilson would probably be towards the tail end of the second well and the the tricky part with that is we haven't mentioned any North Dakota State players yet. Yeah. Brandon well, how, how McKissick is having yeah. a great season. Yeah. Uh, Jace Townsend's numbers are great, but I could easily see where you go, but the team isn't playing well. Like, yeah. there's a lot of good team players in this league. Yeah, Will Curious. Will Curious should Will be Curious, in the Will Curious, yeah. 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 Um, yeah and it's, it's, what's, what's interesting, though, both of you guys alluded to, you know, NDSU, they had six guys in double figures last night. I mean, there. I mean, I, I think the guy that would maybe, you know, you look at what Greasel does. You have to kind of factor in watching him play because his stats don't always blow you away. But Rocky is a guy that's he's tenth in the league in scoring and just under sixteen, and he's sixth in the league in rebounding. Phillips yeah. fourth in the league in rebounding, and he's eighth in the league in scoring. And and I I, I love what Rabracha does. And so, I think a lot. Of, I think there. It's always difficult. Do I think both Cruiser and Phillip will be on the top 11? Uh, absolutely. They certainly should be. But I think NDSU, I think it's been the year of, of that, that, that the two-headed monster, you know, in the league. When you look at the top four scorers in the league, Aismas at one, um, Plitzelweit at two, O'Banner at three, and Amude at four in conference-only games. Aismas is averaging 26 a game. Plitzelweit 22, and O'Banner and, is at 19 and a half, and Amude at 19. And they, they're they're in the top four in the league, so it's hard to argue against those guys. You know, it's going to be interesting. We're going to have like all these high scores on the first team, and then the second team is going to be filled with a bunch of these like just rock solid players that are yeah. really well rounded. And then you, we, you know, you know, it's going to be fun. We're going to look at these teams. And we're going to be like, man, if we actually played a game here, <laughs> yeah, the second team may end up beating the first team. I you know, know. <laughs> I, I don't agree. know. Maybe that means that we're not good enough picking these teams. I don't know. I, I, I do I, I wish I, I wish we'd kind of expand like what we value sometimes uh in in terms of how we uh put these teams together. And uh, I wish we'd value things like like defensive presence and you know, because how do you not have anybody from NDSU on the first team? That just seems wrong, but who would it be? I don't know, you know. I, I know like last year it, it did kind of bother me with Douglas Wilson being the conference player of the year. It 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 kind of fell into that category where you know yeah he's the best player on the best team and so that's usually the person I get it but you know like I I I said this before but I, I truly believe that Marlon Stewart was the conference player of the year last year, um, but again that's just one way of looking at it and there's a lot of ways to look at it so I don't know uh, there's going to be plenty of debate this year. There is um, and it's so interesting you bring that up because the the different schools of thought on on voting are yep best player best team. And then the next one is you go, what if he wasn't there? 
where would that team finish? You know what mm-hmm. I'm saying? <laughs> and and I, that's that's more that's how I you, look at it. That's why you yeah. make the argument on Stewart. If Stewart wasn't there for UND last year, good lord, um, they certainly aren't playing the conference championship game. And uh, and at the same time, if Douglas Wilson wasn't there for SDSU, I'm guessing they're still a top three team. So um, doesn't take anything away from Wilson, and doesn't. It, it's just how do you look at it, and what's your definition of player of the year? Right. Uh, b- back to the matchup itself, uh, Charlie Easley with that game, basically game winning three. Uh, what a uh, coming, basically the re- the replacement in the starting lineup for uh, for Noah, and hits the biggest shot of the game. And then Greg, you already said it, Douglas Wilson, that second game makes you think, oh man, that guy deserves to be on one of those two teams, if not the first one. Yeah. It just was dominant in in that second game. And back to the, his old form, the quickness was back, the explosiveness, all of it. And I'm just so impressed at, at how he gets into the body of his defender so well. You know, he really doesn't allow them to use angles to contest his shots nearly as, as effectively as you think. And, and the guy is not a physical specimen, a, a, a dominant physical specimen. He's, he relies on his quickness, but he's still so good at getting into the body of his defender and he was enjoyable to watch last night. That game was just so crazy down the stretch. Right. And, uh, you know, NDSU's up 22, and Eric Henderson just looks at the clock and goes, if we let NDSU run their offense, there's not enough possessions left in this game for us to come back. So he just decides, let's speed them up, let's press them, let's play zone, get them to take some quick shots, and, and everything fell into place for them to the point where they almost came back and won that thing. But you go back to easily. I give easily credit. Um he didn't go out there and go, Oh, I've got to, I've got to, I've got to step into Friedel's shoes. He just said, I've got to go be Charlie easily. I've got to go knock down a shot here and there. Let Shireman and Arians and Douglas Wilson and Dentlinger who continues to play at a much better level than he did the first half of the conference season. If you guys watch the game, I think it was maybe over the course of about 10 possessions. Dentlinger's at the back end of that press and he goes up. And he fouls Rocky Cruiser on a dunk attempt. He goes up and he fouls Grant Nelson on a dunk attempt. And I think he gets a block on uh, uh, on the, the young freshman point guard out of Kansas City. He's probably sitting there going, seriously, coach, I'm tired of doing all the work on the back end of his press. But right. they knew they had to do it. I um, And he was solid offensively. I, South Dakota State needs him to be good. Uh, to step up his level of play, to his credit, he really has over the last uh, probably two, three weekends. Yeah, that 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 uh, series of plays for Matt <laughs> Dettlinger, I was like, oh my goodness! I was starting to have flashbacks a little bit. I, I think I tweeted out something like, "Oh, via Condios, Matt Dettlinger," because there 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 was almost, I mean, because like honestly, you know. When you know when people say yeah two points is two points, not all two points is worth two points. If uh, all of a sudden Rocky Cruiser dunks all over Matt Detlinger and the Bison win, and all of a sudden they're going crazy, and I mean who knows? You know, I mean you never know how that could carry forward. Um, but I yeah, agree, Zach. You make I, I, I'm, I'm this. I, I hate this posterization stuff. But the one thing that was going through my mind is Dentlinger saying, "I am not going to get put on a post. I don't go up and not <laughs> let them finish." It was fun to watch. I, I, I have bought one or two of those in my career where I absolutely had one comment, and I'm like, "Well, this probably comes an intentional foul or something." But I'll just this is just my decision that what I'm going to do yeah. here: just put a forearm right into their chest and just like, all right, <laughs> we'll 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 pick up the pieces after this. But I'm just not going to get exactly. done here. And, and um. <laughs> 
you know, but yeah, I, I mean, what a game though. I mean, Charlie Easy, uh, just onions. I mean, holy yeah. smokes. I mean, that's that guy. That's with Grant Nelson flying at him. Grant Nelson's <laughs> recovering, you know, six ten guy. If it's a fr- it fraction of a second later, that thing's in the chief seats. Yes. You know, fraction. Yes. You know, and and I believe they were only down two, right? So like, yeah, they didn't necessarily need that three. And man, he caught that thing and shot it like he's been in the starting lineup all year. And uh, huge credit to him. Huge credit to the coaching staff uh, for having the the courage and for for putting him in that situation and for him coming through. I mean, it's fun to see that. You know, it's like we've talked about all year. I mean, we've seen a lot of these rotations churn, and people forget that you know the sixth, seventh, eighth guy on the bench, they're on scholarship too, and they're very capable. They just may not be the flavor of the month right now. And and Charlie Easy's getting his opportunity, and he's not looking back. He's not giving up this role for anything. He's not making poor decisions. He's making winning plays out there. And and, uh, and Zach, I just want to jump in. You you bring up a really good point. I don't want people to dismiss that. Yeah. You got Shireman, Arians. Wilson, Dentlinger, big moment guys. They're confident putting the ball in Charlie Easy's hands. Having the confidence of your teammates is probably more valuable than anything. You know what I'm saying? Because they could probably find a way to go somewhere else if they didn't trust him. But they gave him that look, saw that he was open. And I think it was, I think it was a kick out from Wilson, if I'm not mistaken, because I thought Nelson mm-hmm. had kind of dug down on uh, to, to double Wilson. And Wilson... Uh, we we heard this from Eric Henderson on our podcast earlier in the year. One of the most willing passers on the team. He shows trust enough trust and easily to say, you know what, I'm not going to try to score over two. Here you are, buddy. Knock this down. So, I, I appreciate your perspective on that. His teammates trusted him, and he answered the bell. Yeah, my my last thing on Douglas Wilson is um, like so. As a former post watching him play, the thing that I like the most about him is how quick laterally he is. I, I can tell you, like you can guard a big guy. You can guard a strong guy, but posts do not like taking more than one or two shuffles, right? And when he mm-hmm. catches the ball on one block and goes all the way to the other block and lays it in, that's extremely difficult to guard. It doesn't probably look as hard as it actually is, but it's extremely hard to guard, and it's extremely hard to not foul, too. So when he gets going from side to side, I think he goes side to side really well in the post. That's extremely hard to guard. And then in addition to that, he's a quick jumper too. Like yes. he gets off the ground really quickly. So his, his quickness and his quick jumps, uh, that is really what makes him difficult. And uh, he should be as aggressive as he can possibly be because there's not a lot of great post defenders in the league and uh, there's a lot of good post scores. And, you know, if he gets going, it, it, you're right. You can't double him. It was the right decision to not double him because he's going to make you pay. He's a very willing passer. So, yeah. He's a, he's a, he's a absolute handful. And, you know, my guess is probably what played into his production this year was uh, he was probably on a little bit of a pitch count. My guess is they were probably taking it easy on him in practice, things like that. Um, but he's starting to peak at the right time. And if they have him healthy and dialed in for the conference tournament, he's going to be as hard to guard as anybody. Absolutely. Well, and I just want to emphasize both of your guys's points. Wilson, one thing we didn't say, the defense he played on uh, Rocky Cruiser at the end of that game was exactly what you – it'd be an instructional tape, basically, mm-hmm. on what you do there. And then Charlie Easley, six six and seven games ago, played a total of nine minutes over those two games. So you just never know when your time – and then he's hitting the shot of the game. So you yeah. just never know when your time's going to be. I agree, and you make a great point. And to be honest with you, I think they – 
tried to run the exact same play against South Dakota State that they tried to run against Kansas, where Cruiser got to the front of the rim within about two and a half feet and just wasn't able to finish, and he couldn't do that against Wilson and and credit Wilson, and then the just the team defense around him, where they when he did have to kick it off to Harden Hayes, they were so good at, at, at closing out and just clamping down and. Great defense is what allows you to win on the road. South Dakota State did that on Friday night. Right. So I want to move on to the Oral Roberts, South Dakota, well, not series, game. And the reason why I wanted to talk about that one second is I could not sit down for the last seven minutes of that game because it was that fantastic a game. Was that the game of the year in the summit so far? From an entertainment standpoint, probably. You know what I mean? I mean, just uh, right. people love to watch great offense. And at the same time, you sit there and you go, Friday night's SDSU-NDSU game might be yeah, right. True. You really appreciate, yep. you know, the, the, the punch-counter-punch slugfest. Uh, but I, I think Zach kind of said it on Twitter, you know, is is the imaginary game that was supposed to take place today, you know, between Plitz White and Acemas, is that going to settle the player of the year debate? <laughs> I don't know. It, it, it might. Right. White certainly has earned that recognition. Acemas has earned that recognition. It's hard not to have those two guys in that conversation. So uh could very well be the game of the year. Clearly one of the best games of the year without question. Yeah, I'm just going to keep throwing out suggestions. And one of these times, maybe you'll be right. You know, just uh, like something about a, a broken clock being wrong twice a twice a day, you know, because it, it, I, I did a little bit in the, the South Dakota game about, you know, preseason awards or uh, awards, season awards to that point. And I was saying, boy, you know, Stanley Mude is coming off some big games and it may be him. Well, I mean, he's probably running third now, probably, you know, ask me again next week and who knows what I'll say, but uh, you know, it's just, it, it's whether it's the best team or the best player. I mean, man, I just, a lot of recency bias is going on with me, but I don't know. I, I don't know what else to do, what else to say. Well, I, I, but I will say, I, I don't think it's recency bias. You look at Aismas, Plitzoid, O'Banner, Namude, and their numbers. I mean, O'Banner's averaging a double-double in league play. Yeah. And we all are astounded at times at the few number of touches he gets. The guy finds a way to maximize his touches, impact the game on the glass. Aismas, Plitzoid, Namude, at this point, I'm shocked that those four aren't first-teamers. I, I just will be. Yeah, I mean, I just don't know how to not start the first-team all-conference with those four guys. I'm surprised Plitzelweit's only averaging, what is it, like something like 20 points a game, 19, 20 points a game, something like that? I mean, it seems like a long time since he's only scored that many. I mean, well, he, yeah. In uh, league, he's at 22 he's at 22.2. So he's, okay. he's obviously turned it up in league play, without question. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and then you, you see what he's probably averaging over the last two weeks, or the last three games anyway. And uh, it's like, boy, that's way higher than that. You see the trajectory that he's on. So, well, and you you watched that game, the f- game one, and each coach tried five different guys on Plitzowite <laughs> and Aismas, and it did not matter. But, no, you know they get they'd get somebody that was a little bit bigger defender, and they'd blow right by him. Then they'd get somebody with the foot speed and they'd shoot right over the top of them. Like it, it was just, and Ace Miss, I mean, he's not mid-court, mid-court max for nothing. It, it just doesn't matter where he is. I don't know how you defend that sometimes. Yeah, neither one of those guys are like usually the best athletes on the floor. You know, I right. mean, there are other guys that it's like, whether it's Stanley Amude or, or Kevin O'Banner, where it's just like, all right, yep, these guys are not quite built like some of the other players on the court. But I mean, those guys are, 
you know, they're good athletes, but I wouldn't say I wouldn't call them elite. Um, and you're right. I mean, who do you put on them? I mean, Tyree Iannaccio, nope, that, that didn't really work either. Um, I don't know. I'm open to suggestions. It can't be a double because they're very willing passers. Um, you just have to hope and pray. Yeah. And I know it's, it's what's interesting is, is they're very, they have a ton of similarities, but they're they also they're also unique. You know, I mean, Aismas has um, outside of Rebracha. Well, he has five more field goals made than Rebracha, but um, nobody else is is you know within fifteen. And then at the same time, Plitzway has made seventy two free throws in league play, and the next closest is Aismas at fifty seven. Plitzway doesn't settle. He'll still create. He'll still get in the paint. He'll get himself to the line where he's really good. Ton of similarities. But enough uniqueness between the two players where you just kind of sit there and go, I, I understand why these guys are, are the, the, the primary decision makers and ball handlers for their teams because not only are they really good, but, but they still elevate the level of their teammates. That's to their credit. So I'll just play the other side of the conversation just for, for conversation's sake here. Um, you know, they can do what they've been doing uh, for, for a game or two. Can they do that for three games? Can they get to the NCAA tournament that way? Mm. or are they going to have to figure out a way to get a little bit more out of their star post players? Um, I don't know. Uh, you know, I, I think it's just important for them just to remain in attack mode and whatever the right play is the right play, you know, whether that's Kevin O'Banner getting 15 shots or it's five, I don't know. Um, but I, I just, I got to believe that their roster has to be maxed out. if they're going to pull this off in both situations. I agree with you, Zach. And I've said this, I am a broken record. I'm, 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 I'm not very smart. I don't have a very expansive, you know, vision when it comes to basketball. But if, you know, the most entertaining game of the year was probably the one last night with USD and ORU. The most telling postseason style, grind it out, be good in the half court offensively, go inside out and make sure you can guard was probably SDSU and DSU on Friday. And I do think, um, first of all, I think Plitz White and Racemus are both and are both good enough to have three consecutive games where they might each go for 30. I think they're that good, but that's less. You can count on that uh, much less than you can count on your group getting after it defensively in the half court for three consecutive nights or four nights or, you know, or four games or three games over four days. And so I, I still go back to in the postseason you have lower possession games. It's not nearly as easy and freewheeling and, and, things along those lines, unless you are, you're put in a position with nothing to lose like South Dakota state was last night, where they just said, we have to do this to work our way back into the game. So I, I do think I, I will still give the, the advantage to the NDSUs, the USDs and the SDSUs, because I think they're more consistent defensively. Uh, so that's the long answer to your question. Can either one of those guys do it over three days? I don't, I don't doubt it for a minute. But which teams can defend at the highest level over the course of three or four days? I still see that out of NDSU, USD, and South Dakota State at this point. Yeah. Yeah, the the way I put it with Oral Roberts is they're the team to me that is the most likely to go into the NCAA tournament and shock somebody because they just have one of those shooting games. But they're also out of those four teams the least likely to win three games in the Summit League tournament. Like that, it just can they can they do that over one game? Absolutely. I just don't know that it happens over three. We've had enough examples this year. It's better than it's been in the past, but it just still 
not consistent enough. Yeah, great point. So let's move on to Denver and Kansas City, and we won't spend a ton of time. We've already talked about Denver and Omaha being the play-in game and a play-in series next weekend, and I have no idea how the tiebreakers work out if they split, so let's just have one of them sweep. But I wanted to ask a question about Kansas City. Am I wrong in thinking because of their defense and now they're healthy that it wouldn't be shocking if they grind their way through the Summit League tournament and at least make the final? Well, they pretty much fit Greg's description of winning, yeah. of what it takes to win in the playoffs. You know, I mean, and that, that that's tried and true. You just all you have to do is look back through the last couple of tournaments and what's won. It's been that, and it, it's been that, and and because that's the most consistent thing. And I think the story of this last weekend, to me anyway, is yeah, Kansas City first off getting a little healthy. I think that's a big, big part of uh, a big development that um, I don't know as probably hasn't gotten as much attention as it should because. You know, they haven't been very healthy for the last couple of weeks, really. And, and right. secondly, I mean, they're not going to announce more shots. You know, they're, they're starting to score a little bit more points. I mean, if you ask me, I mean, even if, if they're the greatest defensive team in the world, if they're scoring in the 50s, that's just not going to fly. But if they can get in the upper 60s, you know, they, they have that puncher's chance. They have that angle. Uh, they're just not like anybody else. And right. getting ready for them is going to be very difficult because you're not going to be able to simulate that in practice. And uh, I think a lot of teams were caught off guard by their style of play this year. I know UND was uh, up at their place. So I agree with you. I think it really comes down to the officiating crew you get for Kansas City. You know, it, oh, are point. Alec and McKissick going to have three fouls in the first half? Or are they going to let them play a little bit? And and I'm not I'm not saying it's right or wrong. I'm not saying when I say let them play a little bit, it doesn't mean they're not fouling the crap out of people. You know, and I just <laughs> I, I just they're they're going to mug you. They're going to beat beat the heck out of you, and they're going to you know, feel like you're, you're playing offense in a phone booth. And I always laugh. I've said that two or three times in my career, 90% of the people out there have no idea what a phone booth is, but at the same time, <laughs> I, I refer to that and, and that's the style. And it's always the first round where the top seeds are the most uptight. You know, you go back to last year's NDSU Denver one, eight game, obviously SDSU the previous years and their one, eight games. The pressure is always on these teams in the in the, the first round where you, where the mentality sometimes is we can't lose this game. Well, if you have that that mentality of we can't lose this game and your first round foe happens to be Kansas City, good luck. Right. Um, but at the same time, once you get past that and you're in the semis, it's kind of like, well, I don't care what the seeds are. We, we got where we need to be. We put ourselves in a position to compete. I just wouldn't want to see Kansas City in the first round and somebody's going to have to see them. And, and if they're playing with a high level of confidence and they're healthy, as you guys have both mentioned, uh, they're a really, really scary opponent. And, and yes, without a doubt, they can put some games together. Yeah, Greg, I think that's a really good point. Kansas City is not the team to be playing if you're a little tight, if you're a little tentative, if you're not confident. If you're right. confident and you're attacking and you're playing aggressive, you, you can handle them and, and you're going to shoot a lot of free throws and you can probably find your way. But if you're not... It, it, they can suffocate you and next thing you know you're down five or ten and then you get a little more tighter and then it's like you're in quicksand so mm-hmm. i mean you're right they have the recipe for that first round man it, it's that's going to be a lot uh, really interesting game to watch well and zach to your point kansas city led by uh, 11 with five minutes left in game two and alec and i can't remember the second player followed up followed out and i thought but are they even going to give up 11 points with five yeah. minutes? Yeah. So it's, it's, I mean, a 10 point lead for them is a 20 point lead to, to mm-hmm. some teams. 
And, and so it, it just depends on, are you going to be tight? And the second thing is you can't let it bug you. Like they're going to beat you up a little bit. And, but the good part of getting beat up is you get to shoot some free throws. So if you can let it not bother you, I think you, you can make it through that game. But yeah, uh, my guess, my, my guess is if they start, you know, if it, it's always pretty telling if the players are kind of chirping at the refs, like, Hey, you know, watch the sand check and all that. I mean, Kansas City's heart must just be swelling three sizes like the Grinches, you know what I mean? Because they're just like, right. oh, we, we got you right where we want you. You're complaining. We're in your head. You're thinking about it, and that's it's all over then. All right, let's move on to North Dakota and Omaha. I will mention Marvin Nesbitt returned and scored a career-high 20. I always like when a senior player gets back before the end of the year. Um, but on to North Dakota at Omaha. Uh, I'll ask a North Dakota question. They have the most impressive wins in the league and the worst losses in the league. Zach, do you, I'll start with you. What do you think contributes to that for them? Boy, th- th- I, that is a a very very good question. You know, um, I kind of I, I want to be careful on kind of how I answer this. Like, they, it's it's very very clear that with UND, the sum is greater than their parts. That's kind of how I'll put it, you know, mm-hmm. and so playing that brand of basketball, it's very powerful, but if they aren't quite clicking and if they're not beating their primary defender and they're not drawing the defense, um, they can be guarded and they can be scored upon, you know, if they're not, if they're not clicking because they don't have guys that are going to rescue them and get them through dry spells. Yes, they have Philip Bracha, but they just don't have a lot of people that are going to carry them through those highs or those low spots that just about every team has. And so I think that's what happens, particularly on the road that, you know, they'll go a little bit cold on offense. They're a, a pretty good defensive team, but you know, they don't really have any great individual defenders. And so they can kind of become a little mediocre and they can become a little vulnerable and I don't think anything that they do really strikes a whole lot of fear into the heart of people. Um, but it, it can win a lot of basketball games. I mean, you want to talk about a team reaching their potential. I, I think they're getting pretty close to that. I mean, eight conference wins, that's more than they had last year. And they pretty much turned over their whole roster. And, you know, they have guys starting for them that were totally out of the rotation at the beginning of the year. And, you know, it, it's we should probably be more shocked that they're winning some of these games like sweeping South Dakota than they are potentially dropping a game against Omaha. Because sometimes I, I take a step back and I'm watching some of these games, whether it's Omaha or, I mean, even the Denver game, and you're, you're looking at the individual matchups out there and you're like, well, you know, UND probably has an advantage at one of these and they're probably at a disadvantage at maybe two of them. And, you know, sometimes the, the, uh, the outcome isn't all that surprising um it, it, when they lose you know so um yeah like i said i'll just try to be a little careful in how i answer that but it's it, it, it's it's an interesting situation they're a very interesting team obviously this year well they are and zach brings up good points they're four and four against the top four in the league you know what i mean think about that right. they've, mm-hmm. they've got four wins against the top four in the league they gave omaha and denver their only conference win of the year so yeah they are they are, and I'm not going to say Jekyll and Hyde. It's just they don't necessarily have the the depth of talent to maintain a level of consistency that it takes that it takes to compete night in night out in this league. Uh, Paul Sater, I think, is 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 an exceptional coach, and 
he finds a way to maximize what he gets out of his guys. And maybe you look back to last year when, you know, they lost a lot, but the, the, the two, the, the quarterfinal and the semifinal wins that they got in the Summit League tournament, that's really impressive. They found a way to get it done. And then they just, NDSU came in and jumped all over them. Until you get depth of talent, you deal with that level of inconsistency at times. I think Robracha is clearly an all-league player. I don't know first team, second team, but he's he's one of the best in the league. He's kind of that stabilizing force, get him a touch. But they're they're scary as heck, for gosh sakes. Who, who on earth doesn't think they can get beat by UND if they have to face them in the first round? We talked about Kansas City, but, I mean, UND's got – Maybe the most impressive, you know, record against the top four teams in the league of anybody. So, right. uh, I, I agree with you guys. It's it's tough to tell, but until you get that depth of talent, and Paul Sather and his staff get another couple of years of recruiting under their belt, it's hard to expect them to be as consistent as the NDSUs, the SDSUs, and to this point, the USDs. I mean, it is fair to say. I mean, if, if we're, you know, being more honest than we probably should at this point, like. It, you know, Co- Coach Jones left for for whatever reason to go to be an assistant coach. You know, in in sort of a comparable conference, right? It, that probably just doesn't happen if you're super pumped up about what you see coming on the pipe with your roster, right? And then, you know, Coach Taylor takes over and does what he does at, at all the stops, and he, you know, he slowly starts to churn the roster, bring in the right type of players, um, but. Coach Sather essentially has only had one offseason because uh, he got the job a little, a little later in the cycle than most coaches. Basically one offseason, and there was no official visits. I mean, you can't even really have kids on campus. And even with that, you know, Mitchell Sucre, Sabian Sims, Tyree Iannaccio, Caleb Nero, all these guys that were are very important players to this year that they were able to bring in from all, all four of those players came by different means, by the way, whether it's grad transfer, transfer, you know, Juco freshman. And uh, so he's going to find the right players. It's just going to take a little while. And, you know, their roster just wasn't in the shape that a lot of these other programs were. I agree. One other note with Omaha, uh, as they go to play Denver, they're down to six scholarship players. Uh, Wan Yang Tut and Marlon Ruffin are both out for the season, along with some other players that were out earlier in the year. Um, I'll ask you, we only have about five minutes left, but I'll ask a question to you guys on that. When you see Omaha down to six scholarship players and then Vegas always seems to know something the rest of us don't, the line was two and a half uh, in favor of North Dakota. And then Omaha went out and, and beat them pretty, pretty easily in game one. And uh, which was a shock to me, just looking at it, they're, they're missing half their starting lineup and, and all of that. Is there something to, when you know that you're kind of down and out, you're missing some players, do teams come out with just a different energy or did the, is it the players that didn't get a chance earlier in the season kind of trying to prove things or, or what happens in a situation like that? Well, well I, I think, go ahead, go ahead, Greg, go ahead, Greg. Well, I, I do think there's something to be said for that. I mean, it's, it's kind of like typically as a guy coming off the bench, you have a short leash. The guys that have earned the starting spots are the ones that kind of earn the right to make a few mistakes, and the and, and the coach continues to trust them. The, the guys that come off the bench sometimes, they feel like if they make a mistake, they're coming out. And, and I won't deny it. Some coaches do that. I think what happens is when some of those guys ahead of you are gone, you come off, you know, you all of a sudden you're thrown in the starting lineup. It's like, I can, I can just go play. 
coach can't get mad at me. It's because because we have we don't have any other options type thing. And it does take some pressure off guys and allows them to be more aggressive. And so I do think that has something to I think that does factor into it. It's interesting because, you know, I, I believe Omaha is going to Denver this weekend. Not that Denver allows fans or that it's a huge home court advantage, even if they did. But, you know, when you when you look at what they're down to and Matt Pyle is kind of counting down the days of when he moves on from <laughs> basketball and um I, I wish I had some idea how it would go. There's a part of me that says just because of the circumstances, I picked Denver. And there's a part of me that just says, you never know. What, why wouldn't Omaha go in there and win too? So it's going to be interesting to see. But going back to your initial question, I do think, you know, when the pressure's off you and you, you don't feel like you have to be perfect when you're on the floor, it does allow some freedom for the guys to be a little more aggressive and, and let themselves just kind of go out and play. I do agree. That's a big part of it. You know, if you, you, you're absolutely right. You know, if you don't have to worry about getting benched, you know, Hey, what's who, you know, what's to say you, you're not a little more bold, you know, and usually fortune favors the bold and, and shooting favors the confident and, and all that. And, and uh, Omaha came out and knocked down a lot of shots. Uh, their freshmen, both their freshmen played really well. I, I think the future is bright. They, they have some nice players there. Um, and then in addition to that, you know, you have, you have A.O. Akinwale and Matt Pyle, and these freshmen are kind of looking at these guys like, man, we're, I, we do not want to let these guys down. And mm-hmm. those seniors were leading the way. Uh, AO had a, a, a really nice weekend. And Matt Pyle, you know, man, that guy, the old war horse, he's trying to make it across the finish line, but his ankle's bad. It, mm-hmm. It's bad. And you can tell he's just trying to conserve energy where he can. And, uh, and he's limping. And, um, but he's answering the bell. And he's getting it done. He's guarding the rim really well. He, he gives Rabracha a lot of trouble, quite, frank, uh, quite frankly. Um, still had a couple big dunks, you know, and so he, he's still getting it done. And it's just, you know, they're just kind of looking at each other like, man, you know, we just want to end this in, in the conference tournament and uh, end it on the court. And um, it would not surprise me at all to see Omaha go down there and get to this weekend. Um, just I, I really think Ekinwale and uh, Pyle bring a lot of character to this team. And um, yeah. they, they seem to be a little inspired. Um, but uh, it, it's just, yeah, it's you can tell it's been a long year for those guys too, though. All right. I, I think we'll wrap up with that. We're, we're, we're pretty much at the end of our hour. Uh, we have some things to look forward to next weekend, and we will chat again then. Sounds good, guys. Always appreciate the time.